and welcome to the Heady Conversations with Scott and Miranda. Welcome back in, folks. Um, today we are going to be doing the next in our interview episodes, and we are super excited to have our new friend uh, Chris Becker from the Honeybee Collective coming on to talk to us about um, their employee-owned company whose focus is sustainability, equity, um, and I guess more than sustainability, right? Absolutely. Regeneration. Regenerate, regenerate, regenerative, regenerative. I have, I've been having a hard time with that word today. It's a, it's a tough word. Regenerative, regenerative farming, farming. Um, is the type of farming that uh, all of the growers that they purchase their flour from um, participate in and practice. And that is a step above uh, sustainability. But Chris will tell us all about that. Um yeah, we hope you enjoy this conversation with him. And if you're in the uh, Denver or Colorado area specifically, um, you might be interested to hear about the products they have to offer for you as well. Enjoy. You would, I guess, just start us off by telling us who you are, you know, your name. And if you would just kind of uh, how you got into cannabis, what you were doing before cannabis, any of that, you know, origin story that yeah. you feel you know, is relevant to the conversation. Go right ahead. Cool. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks for having me all. My name's Chris Becker. I'm a co-founder of the Honeybee Collective. Uh, been in the cannabis industry about five years now. I started out as a salesperson and brand ambassador for a medical cannabis company in Maryland, Curio Wellness, and also worked in their dispensary. Um, and I've had a few other roles in the industry as well. I sold lab testing services for a lab in Maryland and California, and I worked for Caviar in Colorado, which is a uh, infused cannabis product manufacturer. And um, ultimately, my experiences in the industry led me to want to do something better for the community and for the earth. I, I, I was frustrated by the waste I saw in the industry, both with plastic packaging, um, the environmental impact of growing, mm-hmm. and also with uh, the treatment that I saw of other employees. You know, I, I worked with a lot of talented people in my various roles, and um, most of them, despite their talents, had a very definite ceiling on how far they could go because the, the, the nature of ownership in the cannabis industry is very limited and consolidated in the hands of primarily wealthy, politically connected people. And um, those frustrations led me to reach out to the most talented people I knew and invite them to start a cannabis company that would be different and, and allow for more opportunity and um, more equity in the industry. I love that. Absolutely. I, I really do love that. You like hit on every little thing that is wrong with the cannabis industry. <laughs> Yeah, so without without getting too much into um, who we are, because the people that listen are probably bored with that already, um, we are both coming out of uh, brief cannabis careers in the you know Maryland medical industry, uh, where we were very disillusioned very yes. quickly, um, and disillusioned is putting it lightly, you know, infuriated by. Um, frustrated, you know, uh, not only working <laughs> conditions, you know, compensation, but as you said, you know, the waste in the industry. Um, and that's, that's a lot of what motivated us to start doing this podcast was, you know, to help educate people on how to make better choices, um, or at least to make conscious choices, whether they're better or not, <laughs> you know, um, mm-hmm. you, you can only lead people to water. You can't make them drink, it's but true. at least you can let them know, Hey, there are companies that at least try, you know, the, the perfect cannabis company. Um, I haven't exactly found them yet. Um, but there are definitely people that are, are putting effort in and, partnered up with, uh, you know, good programs and putting resources towards, um, at least bettering the industry if, if it's not, you know, where they yeah. want to be right now. So that's what brought you up on our radar was, you know, being in the, uh, the Facebook groups and whatnot, we saw you making posts about the collective and, and it seemed like your, your message and your, your mission was lined up with the things that we talk about. So, um, 
Yeah, that, that's- very much so. Yeah, absolutely. And and I appreciate you noticing that and reaching out. We, we like you said, there is no perfect cannabis company. I don't think we are the perfect cannabis company either. We're just working towards a better, more equitable model that's good for the people and good for the environment. And we're trying to work with and support that the ecosystem of other people and businesses that are have similar missions. Um, we're not alone in this, in, in wanting to, you know, y'all noticed our message and, and, and have a similar goal with your podcast of bringing awareness and equity to the industry. There's a lot of other people doing this work. Um, and it's up to us to kind of support the whole ecosystem, bring awareness to it. So like you said, consumers can make a conscious choice. Definitely. I found that like, there's so much politics in Maryland weed that it's, it's just absurd. And mm-hmm. it's like the like it's like where do you shop anymore? <laughs> where do you go and buy your weed? Because every every place has a story that may not align with your ethics in some way, shape, or form. Totally, yeah it 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 really brings clear the like idea that there's no ethical consumption in capitalism, but uh, especially when the only choices that you have are all um, either potentially corrupt, politically connected, you know, strictly supporting wealthy folks that not no, no real ability to support small businesses or, uh, or true sustainability in the Maryland market, unfortunately. Oh, for straight facts. Now, do you find that to be, uh, I'm not super familiar with the way the legislation is set up in Colorado and the licensing process and all of that. How, I, I think you're the first company that I know of, um, other than like the caviars and and brands like that, that just do like extractions or things to do with extractions where you're not growing the flower yourself, right? You're buying from uh, people that, that, well, I don't want to put the words in your mouth. Can you, can you tell us about where you source your, your cannabis from? Sure. Sure. So we source cannabis that is grown uh, sustainably. Ideally we seek, regeneratively grown cannabis. And there's an important distinction between sustainability and true regenerative agriculture. Sustainability within the construct of the consumerist world that we live in primarily means like companies doing less bad, which is Mm -hmm. (laughs) admirable, right? right? If, if, If all your competitors are highly toxic and you're less bad than them, great. That's, that's a great place to start. Um, but regenerative agriculture is truly good for the earth. It's, it, it's, if it's done per- correctly, especially with cannabis, um, it should be carbon negative, like pulling carbon emissions from the air um, and uh, really closing loops that create a lot of the waste in the industry. Um, regenerative agriculture can, can, is growing crops the way nature intended, um, using sunlight, and uh, microorganisms to feed your plants as opposed right. to feeding them with artificial light and commercial agricultural inputs. Right. And so that's the kind of cannabis we're seeking. Um, what that means is we source from growers who use living soil and grow in either greenhouses or outdoors. Um, those are the two best methods uh, for growing cannabis, in our opinion, growing happy cannabis the way nature intended. And growing it in a way that's good for the earth. Yeah, we actually sat in on a talk at National Cannabis Festival um, down in D.C. about regenerative growing. They had a a great panel of uh, five or six people up there um, from a few different states, I believe, that were all talking about living soil and, yeah, carbon negative, like you said, and, um, and the differences between... Um, like you said, sustainability and and actually improving the environment mm-hmm. <laughs> and and trying to get it back to uh, a more balanced state um, versus just making less of a negative impact. So yeah, super super interesting stuff. Do you find that there? I mean, do you have a a large amount of growers in Colorado to choose from that grow that way? Um. Certainly more than in Maryland. Um, we, we, we're current. We're <laughs> currently sourcing from uh, four different grows right now, um, and they each have their unique qualities that that made us really interested to partner with them. Um, several are women-owned businesses. 
Um, and all of them are growing under the sun using environmentally friendly or friendlier uh, ways of growing. Um, so it, it's been a, it's been a struggle. I, I, I'm not going to lie. We have, in addition to our environmental standards, we have a no assholes policy and that <laughs> probably disqualifies more people than the environmental standards in this industry. Um, there's just a lot of lack of professionalism, misogyny, all my partners oh, are women. Word. So like we won't tolerate any of that kind of shit. And we've actually fired partners before we ever got product to market because they just didn't treat us the way we wanted to be treated and we, the way we think that people should treat their peers in the cannabis industry. Bravo. Yeah, that I mean, is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, more people should be aware and do business in that way because there are just a lot of, there are a lot of assholes in the industry. (laughs) 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 And and you vote with your wallet, right? So, I mean, if, if, if more of us make the conscious choice to not deal with those people, to not buy those products Mm -hmm. produced by those people, to not smoke the flower grown by those people, um, then those people will make less money and hopefully, you know, find the next fad to, uh, you know, b- bribe their <laughs> local council person to <laughs> to go become a part of or what have you and and leave cannabis to the rest of us. But, um, yeah, no, that's that's really fantastic. And I, I know that none of your partners could join us today, um, but, you know, with. Uh, we would be more than happy to have you all back on to continue this discussion at a future date. Um, yeah. Somewhere down the line when, when some more people are available, because we love the fact that it's a collective, know, a collective and a communal environment. And, you know, it really sounds like um, from what I was reading about some of the people involved, you are all coming from different backgrounds and I'm sure bringing very different perspectives and, and skills to the table. I'm by far the least talented person on our team. My, my teammates are <laughs> incredible professionals. Um, my uh, one of my partners, Chalet, is a is a professional merchandiser um, and on track to be likely president of a baby products manufacturing company and has extensive consumer packaged goods experience. Wow! Um, so she makes sure that we have really uh, a. Uh, a, a smart and well-rounded product line that's consumer uh, driven, really. I mean, everything that we've done has been based on consumer research and, and talking to our target market is the daily cannabis consumer, because that's who we are. And um, also from a business case, like that's who buys the most weed. Um, so, uh, so that, that, that's who we want to speak to with our brand. And, and so she makes sure that we're, constantly uh, putting the consumer first uh, with all of our decisions. Um, my partner, Aaron, uh, Aaron Parkins is a exceptional marketer. Um, she comes from the ed tech world. Um, just incredible at building programs to get your message across. And I mean, as a brand, that is what we are doing, right? And, and as a mission-driven brand, um, we're trying to spread awareness about our mission to create community wealth in a sustainable future. And then to bring authenticity to that, we have a master's of public health on our staff uh, as a co-founder who um, makes sure that our, our programs are meaningful and impactful um, to the people who spend money with us and uh, to the communities where we operate. And, and then on that note, um, our consumers are, are really part of that team in that we intend to uh, set aside 10% of our profits to a fund that um, people that purchase from us, people that are part of our community can help us decide where that money goes and, and how we reinvest in the communities where we operate. That's fantastic. That was actually going to be my next question because <laughs> I, I had seen the the thing about the, the 10% of sales. So you mentioned, um, you touched on a lot of things there, but you mentioned uh, the marketing um, and packaging in particular. And I think you all have made a lot of interesting choices um, with what you're offering so far and how you're offering it. For the people that aren't familiar, um, I don't want to call them tins because they're not tin. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you have a name specifically for uh, those the, 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 the packaging con- that the you containers. use. 
Um, but uh, the, the packaging itself is very unique. You're also doing a, a five gram package as opposed to a 3.5 gram package. And I wonder if you could just touch on, you know, some of those decisions that you made there and, and why you're doing, why you made those choices that you made. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for asking. So um, we were seeking to solve the, the waste problem when we were looking for packaging. Um, a lot of packaging says that it's recyclable, but, uh, when it comes to plastics, 95% of plastics end up in the landfill, even if you put them in a recycling bin, whereas tin, which we do call our, our packages tins, um, tin gets, uh, reused, uh, it's basically an inverse relationship. About 95% of tin that ends up in single stream recycling, 90 to 95% of it will end up remade into a new product um and it's right on uh, close to endlessly recyclable it can be um reused multiple times whereas plastics get more brittle the more times they're used um so it's a much earth friendlier way to package cannabis is is in tin um we wanted to go full compostable uh but unfortunately nobody has yet gotten a child-proof compostable gotcha zip certified on a plastic bag or i mean on a compostable bag so um we do have one skew that's compostable we have a a two pack of half gram pre-rolls that is a compostable tube that it comes in with a compostable label and uh so they put it in their home compost so it'll be gone three to six months which is pretty cool um and we, uh, you asked about the size of the product. So we do uh, a prepackaged flour, five gram tin, um, which typically, like you said, flour is sold in three and a half gram increments. So five grams is 40% more product and 40% less waste. And because our target demographic really is the daily cannabis consumer, um, which we identify as in eighth, if it's good weed, it's not enough. I mean, yeah. <laughs> who wants just an eighth if it's good weed? <laughs> and a quarter can be just a little bit too much. Right. A little too much. It kind of lasts a little bit longer than you needed it to. Or <laughs> if you carry it around too long, the dregs of it are like not, it's a little shaky at the bottom of it. So really felt like a five gram tin was a good solution to that, to give a little bit more product for the, for very similar price um, and in an earth-friendly format that that is hopefully highly grabbable off the shelf um because the other thing that i saw that was lacking in cannabis when we when we started this brand was really professional marketing and branding is in its infancy in this industry Mm -hmm. um and so the the talent of my partners to come up with uh an aesthetic that um will speak to a lot of people and be highly grabbable on the shelf i think is going to hopefully really set us apart as someone who comes from a graphic design background, the packaging is gorgeous. It is. <laughs> it's it really, really is. nice. Thank you know, you. great. Um, you know, they're very, uh, very distinct color schemes. Clean. Um, yeah. It's very clean looking, very easy to read. Um, yeah. Now, um, one of the things that I noticed about what you all do is your packaging isn't strain specific, right? You're, you're focusing more on the effects. desired effects or intended effects than you are um, the specific flower that you're using, right? Look, you're, oh, you're still you're muted. muted. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for, for, for your audio listeners. I was taking a bong hit and then muted myself. Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, so uh, instead of going with the indica hybrid sativa lingo, um, we went with peace, pause, and party. And um, we think that gives people, especially newer users, uh, m- more reasons to reach for our product. Um, if, if you ask people, which we did in our surveys, why do you use cannabis? Um, 70% of the use cases are relaxation related. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's sleep, anxiety, stress, those are the pe- reasons that people say they s- consume cannabis. Um, personally, for me, that's the majority of the use case for me as well. 
And then some people say energy, creativity, focus, and uh, social reasons. Um, so the peace, pause, and party really sums up all of the use cases for why people are reaching for a cannabis package, in my opinion. Um, we still uh, have the, the, the specific strain name on our, on our products, on our labels. Um, right on. And, uh, it, but, it, but it's on the backside, so it's not the prominent feature um, of our marketing. And uh, yeah, we, we, we hope that it'll really give people a lot, of, a lot of reasons to grab the product. And you're not really married to any specific strain or grower at that point too, right? I mean, you can use any number of indicas or indica leaning hybrids, I would guess for the, the piece or the pause or. We, we select for terpene profile. So our piece strains primarily are going to have uh, high uh, contents of what are classically considered the more sedative um, terpene. So like mm-hmm. linalool, caryophylline, that kind of thing. Um, pause is going to have similar, but somewhat less sedative uh, and more just generally relaxing um, terpenes like pinene and uh, caryophylline in, in certain ratios. It has a really nice effect for me. Um, Mercine and that kind of thing. And then the party strains are going to have terpenes that are typically found in your sativa leaning strains that are associated with a more uplifting mood and energy. Um, things like terpinoline, limonene, and that kind of thing. Word. It sounds great. It sounds like a great, <laughs> a great way to market your weed, honestly. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be super. Is it, has it been super successful so far? So uh, we launched on 421, which is an yeah. interesting time to launch as a brand. We, we wanted <laughs> to be in market before the 420 season and then be on shelves like on 420 proper. Um, and uh, supply chain set us back a little bit with uh, receiving our packaging uh, from overseas. Um, but we were happy to launch 421. We sold out our first drop in a week. Um, so, uh, our, our first set of prepackaged flour sold out in a week, uh, the store restocked and is now carrying our prepackaged flour and our 10 packs of pre-rolls. So, um, a lot of positive reception. Uh, people are saying that they love the, uh, the, the flour first off. It's great flour that we've got in our package. Um, and then, uh, they're really enjoying the, the convenience of the pre-roll packs and um, the recyclability, the, the ease of recyclability, and the, and the peace of mind that comes from knowing that you're not contributing to you know this endless cycle of waste. Well, congratulations on that. That's a big. That's a big do to sell out in your first week. Thank you. We were really <laughs> proud of it. We were really happy about the reception. And um, you know, we'd had a lot of buzz going into this uh, launch. We were that that I think contributed to our success. So one of the other things that we've done differently sustainability to us i often don't don't bring it up but um sustainability to us is also about sustainable economics for the people that work for the company um and so we're an employee-owned company and we guarantee all of our um all of our employees a living wage and we funded our company through a crowdfunding campaign um so i say all that to say that when you support the honeybee collective you are supporting uh, small investors who believe in our mission, who invested between one hundred and and thirty five thousand dollars. These are regular people in your community. Many of them are in Maryland. Some of them are advocates for uh, cannabis reform in Maryland. Um, shout out Don. Shout out Roy, Royland. Um, and uh, and you're supporting living wages for people that are working in the cannabis industry, which are which are severely lacking, as you all know. Uh, yes. Experience in the industry. Yes, we, we do. Uh, we do know that 100%. You keep uh, it's almost like you read my outline because you keep jumping to the next thing that I was going to bring up. Um, I was really bummed out when I read an article about you all and found out more about that crowdfunding source that you used. I thought it was more of a, a Kickstarter kind of deal. Um, and as much as I cared about the mission, I'm kind of strapped for cash at the moment. And I did not read it as um, an investment that's actually going to be paid back. 
Um, can you talk a little bit more about that platform? Because I, I had never heard of it before, uh, but it sounds like a really interesting and much more um, sustainable, not only sustainable, but, uh, you know, as somebody who's owned parts of businesses in the past, um, it, it, it's, uh, it takes away some of that stigma, I feel like. Are you still there, Chris? Yeah, sorry. Um, my uh, partner just texted me. I got to. Oh, you're fine. You're fine. I just wanted yep. to make sure you, you were still here. Um, yep. But, you know, as, as somebody who's been involved in entrepreneurial efforts before, there's there's a stigma, there's um, a barrier of uh, humility involved with going to people and saying, yes. uh, hey, you want to give me some money to start a business? Um, versus, hey, do you want to be an investor in my business and be a part of this project and this mission that I'm on? Um, so yeah, if you could just tell us a little bit more about the platform, if you're comfortable doing that, I would love to hear I, some. I, absolutely. I am a huge fan of the Mainvest platform. We raised a quarter million dollars from 200 individuals on the, on the Mainvest platform to start wow. our company. Um, and, and that's going to carry us into the next couple of years in, into what I think will be great success. And, and really it validated uh, our mission, you know, to 200, you, you, not everybody is aware that to invest in early stage companies, you usually have to be what's called an accredited investor, which means mm. that you make $250,000 a year and or have a net worth over a million dollars, not including your primary residence, right? So it's a pretty high bar to invest in companies. Um, but crowdfunding allows regular people that don't make a lot of money to invest in companies with as little as $100 and get paid back um, a, a nice return over, over the course of a few years. So um, our investors committed $250,000 to us. Some of our investors will get a two times return. So um, if you invested 100, you'll get paid back a total of 200 over the course of five years or less, depending on how fast we sell out our products. Um, and then the remaining investors will get one and three quarter return. So if you invested 175, I mean, if you've invested 100, you'll get 175 back. And um, this is regular people that support our mission. Some of them knew us prior to going into this. Some of them just found us online and decided to invest because they believe in what we're doing. They have seen the inequity in the industry and seen the waste and support solving those problems. Um, so early stage companies can raise quite a bit of money on Mainvest. I highly recommend any entrepreneur look into it. Um, you know, it, it still took us a little bit of seed money to get off the ground. Um, we probably put 60K, uh, I probably put 60K of seed money into the company um, before we went and raised. And uh, we had bought some packaging and it takes some marketing dollars to mm -hmm. do that raise. But at the end of the day, it's, it's a very accessible way. I mean, if you go to a bank, if you go to most private investors, they're not giving money to pre-revenue startup companies that are basically just an idea that some founders have. Right. Right. Nice. Nice. <laughs> um, but when you go to a crowdfunding platform, if enough people believe in your idea, now you've got the money to start your company. It's great. So, so how does the, the licensing for a company like yours work? So you're not, you're not a grower. You're not a, a dispensary. What tech are you a, a, a cannabis processor? I guess. Uh, technically, we are a non-plant touching cannabis brand, and uh, so the distinction there is we get paid a royalty after our product sells. <clears throat> Excuse me. We provide packaging uh, to our grow partners that meet our standards for sustainability, and then we do the marketing of our products, and where allowed, we do the sales of our products. In some states, a company might have a sales team that uh, would sell our products. But in Colorado, we solicit the sales from our products, um, provide the packaging, and do the marketing for our products. But we don't touch the plant. We don't pick. We don't go. We don't deliver it. That's interesting. Um, we we don't package it, and so the people that do pay us a royalty. And um, that I mean, it, it, big brands work the same way. Cookies works the same way in Maryland. Mm -hmm, sure, uh, they get they have a licensing deal. Um, Willie's same same idea, licensing deal. Caviar, 
you know, I worked for, I sold caviar at Curio licensing deal, same, same idea. Um, so, uh, big brands are using that to expand their footprint. Um, I think the unique thing about us is most, I, I don't know of any other companies that have launched as a licensing company. Most have a license in one state and then turn it, license it in other states. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that speaks to the strength of the problems that we're solving. You know, the, the, the other companies are aware of the problem of waste and of lack of living wages, but, um, you need founders that are willing to spend the money on, uh, expensive recyclable packaging, which is up to like five times more expensive than traditional. Um, and you know, founders that are willing to see the company and give up equity to the, to the rest of the employees, which is, there are a few and far between. You touched on, (laughs) you touched on the cost of the packaging. How, how does your, I mean, obviously we don't need to get into specific pricing. Um, I mean, we can, if you want to, but are you able to stay, you know, here in Maryland, we have kind of three or four different tiers of flour and what it costs, right? Mm-hmm. You've got stuff that you can get for $20 an eighth uh, because it's untrimmed or uh, it's low in terps, it's larf bud, whatever, all the way up to, you know, like you said, your cookies, cookies or now Tyson or, you know, uh, Garcia, the, uh, the, the, name brand stuff, which is going to be 65 or 70 in different places. Right. Where, where do you all fall kind of competitively versus other brands? Um, in Colorado, we're, we're uh, targeting a out the door after tax price, which in Maryland, you're not paying tax on that 65. The growers paying a little bit right. of tax, but um so we're targeting an after-tax price of between thirty-eight and forty-five dollars for both our ten-pack of pre-rolls and our five-gram flour tin. Um, wow! And then our That's... our two-pack of pre-rolls is uh, about going to be about twelve dollars out the door. That's fantastic. Um, and so we're trying to be extra competitive. One of the ways that we do that is um, sun-grown flour is less expensive, you know, than than indoor-grown flour. Um, but I think it's better, better product. The, the idea that indoor flour is the best product on the market is ridiculous. In my opinion, um, it's it, indoor flour is factory weed. You know, it's, it's not the way nature intends it. Um, it it's it, growing has been pushed inside by a legacy of prohibition and by NIMBYs that don't want to see cannabis or smell it. Um, but sun grown, organically fed cannabis is some of the best stuff you'll ever get, but it's cheaper to grow than growing indoors, which is incredibly expensive. So we're able to be a little bit more competitive in that regard. Um, We take a little less profit than we'd like to um, in order to stay competitive and to kind of absorb the cost of our expensive packaging for a little while until we can scale and get that price down. I do think that by next year, some more companies will be using tin. We might have compostable options available. And like, I'm not afraid of competition. The more, the more companies use this stuff, the better for the earth and the better for our pocketbook. And we have to reorder this stuff. So <laughs> um, please, more people. I, I, will, I will hook you up with our packaging supplier. Just don't copy our style. Well, I did see, I think, I think up in the New York market, um, there was some requirement about uh, the biodegradability yep. of the packaging that they're going to be using up in New York. Um, I think it either has to be recyclable or biodegradable up in New York. Yeah. And I mean, again, obviously, like you said, what uh, recyclable <laughs> is, a, is an interesting term. And we we talked about that. I don't know if you all have the high five initiative out there in Colorado, but we talked about the high five initiative here in Maryland, where you can take those containers back to the dispensaries, you know, a lot of dispensaries now, and and they'll come be picked up and processed um, by this great organization. But yeah, if you just chuck it in your standard yellow recycling bin, it's probably going to end up in a landfill. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We have a couple organizations and dispensaries with take back programs out here as well. Um, 
And uh, I, I did see that in New York that I, I at least saw when they proposed that the packaging would have to be recyclable or compostable, but I never looked into uh, what the specifics of that were. Like you said, the, the devil's in the details on that. Yeah, but the, uh, the the point that I was getting to was the the more people that do it, you know, the more whether it's actually regulated or whether it's just companies providing the option and and taking the time to make the effort. Um, hopefully, more people know about it and start to pay attention to it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like I said, we fully support bringing more awareness to it. More companies using earth friendly packaging. Um, the, the the more the merrier. Um, we, we, we can't keep filling landfills and uh, honestly like streams, lakes and oceans. Um, you know, we personally did a uh, earth day cleanup where we removed about 120 pounds of plastic from a stream near our house. And now I have a personal goal of removing as much weight and waste from the local communities where we sell into as we sell into. So if I sell, a pound of cannabis that's um, roughly three pounds. Actually, ours is a little lighter. So that's a roughly two pounds of uh, packaging with our packaging. Um, so three pounds of total product. I want to go at least pick up three pounds of, of waste from a local stream, if not more, because three pounds is pretty light. That's awesome. That is awesome. I feel like we need to be more involved in actually getting our uh dispensaries and producers to get better packaging on board because at this point it's just it's just it's i think we have one one company out here who does tin and the rest is all plastic but there need to be those options too like you said yeah. i mean there there has to be that child proof you know compostable option that we can find and and you know uh satisfy the regulators and <laughs> serve the serve the mission at the same time right yeah i was like when yeah. i was down at oh go ahead <laughs> no you please i uh, know when we were down in dc and i bought um from alternative solutions and their packaging was paper nice which was i thought was super cool like I immediately took it home and put it in glass, but because I didn't want it to lose anything <laughs> or get really dry. Totally. Um, but yep. the fact, just the simple fact that it was in paper to begin with was really just awesome to me. Yeah, Love there's it. a, Love there's a couple, yeah. a couple companies that do pre-rolls in the compostable tubes. Like you said here in Maryland, I think mm -hmm. Grow West does. Yeah. Um, there's a few more I can't think of offhand, but so are there are there plans are there goals to become an mso to become the first you know conscious and um and caring mso out here <laughs> operating are you are you all trying to take this mission to other places i mean i know it's obviously the the early stages out there in colorado but is well, that absolutely we 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 aspire to be uh everywhere that cannabis is legally sold for, for recreational use. Um, we're primarily, a, a, I mean, a, a everybody is using for, for <laughs> their own medical reasons, but we're primarily a, a, a recreational brand, not looking to be in the, the limited licensed medical states just because of the nature of what that's created. Um, but uh, yes, we, we absolutely would like to be in multiple states in the next few years. Um, specifically, I have uh, my eye on Vermont, Massachusetts, um, and New Mexico. Um, all three have, uh, and New York too. Uh, so all four of those actually have um, unique uh, either craft cultivation licenses, co-op license cultivations, um, small regenerative farms being prioritized in New York and Vermont, right? Or at least yeah. small hemp growers and such. So all, all of that is, is interesting to us and, and um, gives us potential partners that share our mission. There are certain states where I don't even need to look because there are literally no growers who share our mission and meet the no assholes requirements. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And there's some states where there's only one, right? And right. they're finding a needle in a haystack. So. 
but but the, so the, but the big targets are the places where um, th- there's going to be growers that we can partner with that share our mission for uh, regenerative agriculture, earth friendly and people friendly practices, treat their people well, are are pleasant to work with, and and where we can add value. Um, so where we add value as a company is we bring attention to the growers earth-friendly practices. Um, we help them launch with a brand that already has name recognition. Um, so I recognize that that's a bold statement because we're in one, one state and building a brand, right? But people have heard of us and more people are going to hear of us. Um, and a grower may not be expert in building a brand in creating beautiful packaging that's going to sell well in in product differentiation and SKU development. Our team has all of those skills. So we're bringing a high volume product line um, to growers that they can immediately launch with without having to have the upfront development cost of building a brand. Because I told you, we put 60K of seed capital into this. We've already spent a fair chunk of that 250,000 that we've raised building a brand costs between a dollars and $500,000, right? So if a farmer doesn't want to do that, which might not be their uh, uh, purview because growers tend to want to grow. They want, they want to spend time with their plants. Right, they want to right. do what they love. Um, and we want them to be able to do more of that and, and not have to worry about um, marketing, branding, packaging, selling. Um, we can handle all that because we're, ex- we're already expert in those well, and I think that's another, if you build it, they will come hopefully, uh, where if, if people know that there's a market out there and that there's, you know, not only consumers that care about it, but brands that are out there supporting it and making it their, you know, not just something that they pay lip service to right. their primary focus, um, being not only that, you know, regenerative, um, aspect, but the, the, like you said, I think the no assholes is just as uh, limiting, <laughs> if not more so. I think it's more so uh, limiting than, than finding people that are doing the regenerative <laughs> regenerative farming. Um, because people can learn to regenerate regeneratively farm, right? <laughs> you can't yeah. teach them not to be an asshole. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, no, it, 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 it's so true. Um, and, and we do hope that uh, the work that we're doing will inspire more people to um, form employee-owned companies in the cannabis industry. Um, we really hope that uh, a generation of founders will exit to um, employee ownership entities rather than exiting to uh, other kinds of entities that would acquire them, whether it be venture capital or private equity, whatever. Um Employee-owned companies tend to be more profitable than their peers. Employee-owned companies tend to retain their employees during downturns at significantly higher rates than their peers. Um, And they have higher employee satisfaction and engagement rates than their peers. So they're healthier companies. Um, And and, and we think it's the most equitable way to hold a company. Um, And if, if you have a profitable cash flowing company um an owner can often net the same as or potentially even more after taxes are considered to exit to their employees as they can to exit to another entity um there's significant tax savings when when a founder exits to an esop versus um, exiting to another kind of entity interesting so um, that's that, that's probably all a little bit technical, but we 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 end of the day we want the, the fastest way to create more equity in the cannabis industry is creating more employee-owned companies because then you're really spreading ownership in the industry, right? So if you can build those workplaces foundationally as um, diverse and um, healthy workplaces that treat the employees well and respect their time and their value and and give back to them and uh, prioritize doing right by them and by the community where they operate over prioritizing profit. Um, that's kind of a, a new way of looking at doing business that we hope more people can wrap their minds around. Um, Cause 
I mean, like, I didn't get real radical in any of this conversation, but like the alternatives to like solving the inequities uh, of capitalism and solving the waste caused by capitalism, mm-hmm. the alternative is not more capitalism. <laughs> like, <laughs> absolutely, so, it's revolution, and it's like, it, like the polite the polite term is degrowth, but to to if you if you're in power, that looks like re- revolution, right? So. Um, companies just need to start changing the way that they do business uh, or, or we're all screwed. Pretty much. I, yeah, yeah. I, that's I what it comes down to. Agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I know you launched at just the one dispensary. Are you still only available at the one dispensary at the moment or have you uh, branched that out already? This week, we're still just available to one. Um, our uh, first hire uh, is, is a salesperson. Uh, her name is Andrea, and she starts on Monday. Uh, I'm not sure when this will air, but she starts five days from when we're talking right now. And uh, so hopefully by the time people are hearing this, we'll be in more dispensaries. Right on. That's cool. Do you want to shout out the, the place where you are available? Absolutely, yeah. We're 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 in uh, World of Weed Dispensary in Commerce City. Uh, it's just on the east side of Denver. Uh, great store, great team there. Um, they've got our five gram flower tins and our ten packs pre rolls. So if you're in Denver area, uh, please stop by and and let us know what you think of the products. I know of at least two listeners in Denver. Yep. Uh, one of them does not <laughs> actually partake. Uh, she just used to work in the industry and likes to listen to the show. Uh, but uh, the other one, I hope, will take a trip over and, and pick up your flower and uh, give us give us a review on it. And, you know, who yeah. knows? Because it's recreational, maybe we'll get out there ourselves and <laughs> get an opportunity to, to check you guys out. Do you live in Denver yourself? I do. Yeah, yeah. Please let me know if you're in town. Word, we will. Well, Chris, if there's anything else that you want to plug or you know mention before we go, I think we've covered most. We've of the covered bases. a lot of. It. Yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> thank you, you for being answered so... all my questions and predicted most of them before I even got to <laughs> ask them. So, <laughs> yeah, thank you for being so transparent regarding the business aspect of all of this. It's been it's been fascinating. Yeah, I mean, you're it's the one of our core values. Uh, is transparency. Some companies give lip service to that, but to us, that means being willing to really go in depth and share our journey. You're you're the only employee-owned cannabis company in the states that I'm aware of, at least. Yeah, um, I believe I know of one up in Canada, uh, but I don't know of any others mm-hmm. in the U.S. I don't know if you do. Um. On my Twitter feed this morning, I posted about an employee-owned, um, the, they're a CBD uh, dispensary um, in Chicago. Uh, in Massachusetts, you've got a few companies that I think are still pre-licensure, pre-licensure but are co-op, which would be employee-owned companies. Um, right on. So you've got Farmbug Co-op, and you've got some others that are forming. Um and then uh, there is a, a group that I'm aware of that is starting an initiative to acquire dispensaries and turn them into employee-owned dispensaries um, under the thesis that that's the best way to manage people in this industry and uh, you know ha- ha- align the interests of people in dispensaries to create more value for the store. Uh, and uh, I, I wish them great success. I hope they, they go out and acquire a bunch of stores before you know, their competitors can, uh, because I, I, I'd love to see just uh, a revolution of employee ownership in the industry. I love that. Absolutely. I'd love <laughs> to see it. So, uh, Instagram, uh, website, give us all that good stuff. Instagram. We're at, uh, the Um, Twitter. We're at honeybee canico and um i am chris underscore honeybee if you want uh some hotter takes than i gave you all today um (laughs) i like a spicy take (laughs) and uh facebook i don't know the uh 
hyperlink, but uh, if you, if you just search the Honeybee Collective, I haven't posted anything. It's gotten sh- gotten a shadow ban, so you should find us. Yeah, <laughs> good times. <laughs> yeah, we've great. we've talked about cannabis censorship on the show previously as well. Yep, and how totally hot, ridiculous hot it topic. is. I oh mean, my god, it's absurd. It's so absurd. Uh, it's you know. Wild. We, we can only do so much. And, you know, my, my personal belief is it's just uh, so I used to be a restaurant owner. And basically what Yelp does is they make their money by charging you to mm-hmm. take um, down the negative, to reviews. take down the negative reviews and push forward the positive. And, yep. and basically Meta's doing the same shit. If you pay to advertise with us, we'll leave you alone. You can post whatever you want. If you're not paying to advertise with us and you're growing this naturally on your own and making money from us rather than for us. Fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I mean, straight up in my experience, the past couple months managing our socials is that um, I have have spent some money with them despite them being evil and uh it has protected our account and grown our account and every time that i'm not spending money um our our, our viewership is much much lower um, and it's even across platforms like i'm not spending money on facebook so i have no reach on facebook i am spending money on instagram pretty good reach on instagram right it's, right it's pretty gross and it's pretty disgusting business model um, yeah our, our primary goal with social is to get people off social to join the hive. So the, the so uh, the one other thing is join the hive on our website. Or, uh, go to our website, select the join the hive button and um, you can join our community and being part of our community, you'll get noted notifications about uh, parties and events that we're throwing community cleanups and things like that. Um, you'll get notified about new product drops. We've got some great new flower coming from uh, some beautiful woman owned grows up mountains in colorado here just like it just got delivered uh, yesterday actually this beautiful purple ice cream cake and some strains in there um and then uh you'll also get a chance when we uh, have profits to distribute to help us decide how to redistribute those you'll be able to join the uh community advisory board that helps us decide where that money goes right on that's fantastic well thank you for walking the walk like, absolutely thank you <laughs> uh, I, 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 I i i i had a it, 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 it's pretty surreal to be here i mean about a year and a half ago this was just an email to uh, about 14 people saying hey um i think all of you are really talented and people i would like to work with and i'd like to start a company that does some good in the community would you be interested um, and that's what we evolved from. And so I owe it all to uh, my founders, my co-founders. And uh, as a group, we've been able to like stick by our mission and stick by our guns, even when that's like the harder thing to do for business. Um, but we, we, we think it's the best thing to do for the community. And ultimately, we're part of this cannabis community, not just a part of the industry. Uh, we identify as part of the community first. And I think that's probably the biggest difference between us and other businesses absolutely if you're going to cash in you should also chip in yep. <laughs> you know it's mm-hmm. it's really pretty simple <laughs> shit uh, but yeah so few people are are concerned with it or or hip to it uh, even if they say they're concerned with it actually doing it so again chris we wish you all the best and we will of course you know push out links to uh, to all your information um, on the website and all the social and, and that good stuff. But thanks again for joining us. And we look forward to, you know, bringing you back to, to talk with you when you expand into the next state or, you know, launch the next product or whatever it is. Anytime you, uh, you have something you want to promote or, or push out to the world, give us a shout, let us know. We're, we're happy to be that uh, amplifying voice. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking an interest in what we're doing and and supporting the mission to uh, create community wealth and a sustainable future. That's what we're all about. So um, thank you for helping us amplify that message. Thank you. Right on, man. All right. We'll talk to you soon. (laughs) Take care. Peace. Bye. Bye. Thank you again, Chris, for an amazing interview and um, such great insight into how you came to birth the Honeybee Collective with your founders and co-founders i think it's a very fascinating and interesting look into the way cannabis can be sustained sustained and even more sustained by its 
employees. Yeah, I mean, we can only hope that uh, other people are as inspired and interested in uh, what Chris and his partners are doing out there as uh, I am and I think we are. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, I would love, absolutely love to see a brand like this. You know, like I said, um, MSOs don't have to be multi-state operators, uh, if you're new to listening to the show, don't have to be a negative thing you right. know uh the the everybody says big brand cannabis i don't have an issue necessarily with brands i have an issue with um companies that aren't giving back and aren't participating in equity causes or or as chris would say assholes <laughs> that too right yeah <laughs> companies that definitely um not only don't have a no asshole policy um but maybe assholes themselves um yeah it would be great to see a company take take hold and um perpetuate and promote uh, these positive notions and practices for the industry uh, in multiple um, multiple arenas. You know, uh, obviously Colorado. Um, you would think a state like California or Oregon, right, right. or Washington State. You know, uh, places that are a little more granola y. Well, I mean, he said Vermont and Massachusetts are places that they have their their eye on. Yeah, which um, I think is really smart because I mean, those markets are just they're made for that sort of industry. Well, I found it interesting that he said they are intentionally avoiding. Um, like I said, he anticipated every question I had. I before know. I could ask. <laughs> uh, one of the things I was going to ask is if they were available both because Colorado has both right. Medicinal mm-hmm. and uh, adult use. So I was curious, but he answered that. He said they don't have any interest in, participating in limited license medical markets because of the environment that that has Absolutely. created, yeah. um, which is, uh, which is very telling. So, um, yeah, like, like Chris said, if you want some hotter takes, you can definitely go follow him on Twitter and get a little more, uh, raw, uncut, um, anti-capitalist message from Chris, which, Hey, uh, I absolutely support here, here. Yeah, uh, as you know, we support uh, workers' rights and um, worker ownership is uh, an even greater extension of that. So it would be fantastic if we start to see more cannabis companies follow this lead and participate in allowing um, employee ownership. Because like Chris said, it, it really just promotes a more patient or user-friendly environment in the long run as well. A more cohesive relationship i think right uh we we are the customer right Uh, yeah by and large uh folks that are involved in the industry whether it's a state that has medicinal only or whether it's a state that has adult use or recreational available um you're talking about people that are generally everyday cannabis consumers just like chris said he and his partners are yeah right so if you have um people that are using the plant and um, probably have been for (laughs) a long time before it was legal for them to do so, (laughs) uh, you're more than likely going to have people that are more concerned with things like regenerative farming and compostability and sustainability. Product quality. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just... How many how many things have we read in the past several weeks about inconsistent product in the Maryland market? For sure, uh, that that totally makes sense as well, right? If you're um, uh, never get high on your own supply, that is definitely not the case in the cannabis industry, right? right? I mean, that's <laughs> um, I mean, even when it comes to uh, street flower, uh, personally, I've always been of the opinion that. Uh, if the person that's selling it to you smokes it themselves, yeah, you know it's it's probably good stuff, right? Very <laughs> assuming telling. They, assuming they have good taste. Anyway, we hope you enjoyed the conversation with Chris. We hope to continue the conversation with Chris and his partners in the future. Uh, if you're out in the Denver uh, or surrounding area in Colorado. Go check them out at the uh, the dispensary where they're available now and Google them and see if they're available in more dispensaries at this point, because hopefully by the time we air this, um, like he said, they will be. 
Yeah, um, all of the links uh, for Chris and the Honey Bee Collective will be available on the website, headyconversations.com. I am Our Lady of Mary Jane on Instagram. And I can be found at Your Cannabis Coach. Uh, Thanks so much for listening, folks. Be well to yourselves and each other. Get out of here. And also remember to stay tuned next month for our district cannabis review. I'm hopefully looking forward to getting my hands on some different strains other than gelato cake and cherry chem. I've seen there's some uh, sour diesel on the on the horizon. There was definitely some sour diesel here in the Maryland market. I think there was also talk of us getting the uh either the peach flambe or um or a cross of that a peach something or another i'm uh, into it which i would totally be into i guess we also need to decide whether we're going to review just the maryland product or if we're going to dip our toes into the dc because we can do that as well um but either way yeah next episode we will be talking about the folks at district cannabis and um some of their beautiful flowers so uh hopefully yeah and uh yeah we'll see you next week be well